new day is dawning. New ideas, new rules, new management. Who is this? The Marquis de Gramont. You're listening to KenCast. This episode was recorded in front of a live internet audience. And here's your host, Ken Cole. This is the release date of John Wick Chapter 4. I have gone to see it with my special guest today who's going to talk to me about this movie, Dave Schrock. Filmmaker Dave Schrock, how are you? I'm doing great now that I'm here with you on the KenCast. You and I just went to see this movie in Burbank. It is opening day. We were probably one of the first showings of the day, and we wanted to share with the world our first impressions, our honest first impressions of the movie. How are you doing? Has has this been an exciting day for you? It's been an exciting day. I think anytime there's a new John Wick movie out, it's going to be an exciting day. And I'm perfectly fine with dedicating my whole day to that. I don't need to think about anything else other than John Wick on a John Wick day. Right now, we are not talking spoilers. So if you don't want to know what's going to happen, stay stay with us right now. We will warn you when we're transitioning to spoiler discussion because, Dave, we could talk a lot about spoilers, can't we? There's a lot of spoilers. There's a lot of spoilers. It's a three-hour movie, so, I mean, there's a lot to discuss. You're a big fan, Dave. Just straight out of the theater, we just got back. How do you feel? I feel very satisfied. You know, every John Wick movie up to this point has kind of left me saying, like, wow, that was really great. I can't believe that they still knocked it out of the park and made it better than even the previous one. And, again, I feel the same thing. They they delivered, once again, four for four. So... Yeah, it was really good. How do you think this one compares to the first three? What, what's your first impression? Boy, well, my first impression is definitely the biggest one. It's it's definitely up the scale, up the scope and size, which is impressive considering where they've been already. But I don't know if I could say it's better or worse than any of the other three because they kind of all seem to have their merits of being amazing in their own way. Gee, I mean, compared to the other three, I say it just fits in perfectly. For me personally, I'll always like the first one the best just because, you know, that was, I didn't know what to expect. I just heard it was a good movie and I just watched it and it was like absolutely amazing. And I think that's just a very unique experience. It was very fresh at the time, but uh, parts two and three were really good too. And then this one, my goodness. Yeah, you're right. It's like, it's longer. It's more epic. I think I I still like all the sequels about the same. I think they're all very good. I think, you know, something that was a little different about this one that maybe I liked that some people might not, but I think because of the runtime being longer, I enjoyed the pacing of it. I felt like when we were in action sequences, they would go for definitely a sustained period of time as they have in the previous movies. But when we were off of them and we were just listening to characters talk, it feels like they choose their words very carefully. Like we're, we're really moving along at a nice pace. And even when we stop, we're getting just the amount of information we need to continue on. Nobody's dragging it down ever. So it, it really, in my opinion, like pacing wise, this one stood out as being impressive to, to sustain that length of a film. I think for me, it's possible. Like I thought maybe two thirds the way through the momentum kind of went down a little bit. 
but it's one of those things where it picks back up again. I don't know if you've had that experience before with the other John Wick movies where you think, oh, there's a scene where, yeah, maybe it kind of dips for a bit, but then it just comes right back and you really can't remember that part that you thought dipped. I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I feel like in some of the other movies, you have like a set piece where you just, it's not like clicking with you, but it's something that they do that's so impressive that like, even if it doesn't work for you, they're going to throw something else at you in the next like four minutes to make you completely forget about whatever you weren't engaged with. So in the previous movies, maybe only in John Wick 3, did I feel like at one point I was getting like fatigued with it, but then the ending just like crushed it out of the park in John Wick 3. And then this one, again, they do that thing where they're just kind of picking right up where they left off and you can't believe the continuity working so well, actually. I know. I hadn't seen the third one since it came out and I probably should have seen a refresher because it picks up right like that specifically from the third one. Yeah. And that's the same how two went into three that way. And uh, I think it's it's kind of fun that they, they don't really mess around when they're just like, let's just get to it. Let's just let's just keep it going. Drew Rohalley from the Last Row podcast says, John Wick is one of my favorite action series of all time. Each one seems to get better. Amazing, talented filmmakers. Keanu is the best. And uh, he goes on. My personal ranking is one, three, two. Haven't seen four yet, but it's so tough to rank. And then he says, the simplicity and the originality of the first one is what really keeps me coming back. The fact you didn't know much about Wick at that point or the world around him added to his mystique. Um, and I will say about that, about this one, if you enjoy that world, like they keep developing it, like this world, you learn so much more about, you know, the table, the, you know, all, all the mythology, the canon surrounding John Wick, uh, and his life. How did you think that compared, uh, as far as like the background and learning more about him? I enjoyed it just because I feel like even in the previous movies, they kind of have a tongue in cheek way of going about it. Like they kind of know, like the rules and it's it's very proper and we're gonna do things these certain ways and in this movie again they're introducing you new things of well this is how this works because of the system of you know the continental and all all the high table and all that stuff so it's kind of refreshing to go from that simplicity to the first one and get so big by now and not feel overwhelmed and not feel like, oh, they just got so stupid and silly with it and, and just feel like it's a nice continuation. What really stuck out to you about chapter four that made it seem very epic? One thing for me was maybe, you know, and every movie has a opening action set piece. I'm not going to say what it is in this movie, but I felt like in this movie, the opening set piece was massive and it kind of right off the bat set the standard for what the rest of the movie was going to be like. We're not just giving you like a quick little thing like this. This is a really big intro and it's, it's going to take up a huge chunk of the movie. And I was on board for like all of that. To me, it really felt like old fashioned musicals. And I, I, again, don't don't take me the wrong way. But the idea that those old epic big musicals where everyone would break into song and like dance. This is like that, only it's obviously super modern, stylized. And instead of singing and dancing, you have like these insanely choreographed fights. It's almost like a musical. It's like, oh, we're on to the next big production number where you could tell that they had so much care. They spent so much time specifically planning out everything about these fights. And it, it was it looked like dancing to me. 
It's always dancing and the locations they pick for the dancing is always very significant too because that's going to play into maybe what gets used to keep the dancing going, if you know what I'm saying. The character of John Wick, Keanu Reeves, how did he strike you this time? Uh, the character and also Keanu Reeves's performance. I, what I liked about this one that I wouldn't say we lost it in parts two and three, but maybe a little more like part one. He, I would say he was a little more emotional like in this one. Uh, you know, in part one, there's a lot of his wife passing and we, we see a lot of that stuff. Uh, two and three really don't take a whole lot of breaks. <laughs> you know, they, they really go pretty white knuckle the whole movie. But this one, there was a couple more moments where I think I was feeling for John Wick. I was like, hey, this, this guy's had some some tough goes. So I, I appreciated the, the extra level of uh, a heavy-hearted John Wick. Indeed. And I, I think you made a comment to me that he has almost no lines, except he has one of the best lines in the movie or the best line in the movie. I think there is a line that they give John Wick in this movie that I just is like, hmm, that's, that's a really good line for John Wick to say. And I just love that. And I love that in this moment of the movie, that that's what he said. This movie, I think like the other movies, one of the reasons I love the John Wick movies, it's not just because of the fight scenes and the action choreography, which we'll get into, um, especially in the spoiler discussion, we'll get into like some specifics on that. But these movies somehow just attract such great actors. Like the casting is so good in these movies. And this type of movie doesn't necessarily always go for the best actors that they can get. But for whatever reason, the casting is so perfect. And this movie is no different. And off the top of your head, Dave, who sticks out to you as like an amazing addition to the cast? Uh, it was Donnie N stole the show for me. Absolutely. That this is, in my opinion, this is maybe the best opponent uh, John Wick has had for all the movies. Not just because of Donnie M being an amazing martial arts performer, but I think what they did with the character that he's playing, who he is, what his story is, is kind of the best matchup for John Wick today. He's able to do so much where the character has a very significant limitation, which just makes him much more badass. Oh, absolutely. And they gave him a lot more depth than the average villain is going to get to, so... And they set up a lot of his backstory very efficiently, too. Like, it's not something where you go take a huge side tangent of the movie and go learn about him. It's kind of all introduced to you piece by piece throughout the movie. So something about the three-hour runtime I, just doesn't bother me at all with this movie. They just absolutely kept it going. Epic fight scenes, but there's this personal connection between all these characters that... I think is often overlooked, but just makes makes it so strong, makes this character of Kane so strong. We've got Bill Sarsgaard plays the, yeah, the Marquis, who is all-powerful now. How did his performance uh, strike you? I really enjoyed him. You know, I think, it, I, like I said to you uh, before the movie started, like, wow, he's really having a, a good couple of years right now. And it was kind of fun to just throw him in the mix because he's it's always fun when there's like an up and coming actor. I mean, he's been coming up for a minute now, but, you know, like uh, somebody who's really on the rise right now to throw them in the middle of an already established franchise and have them do really well. So I definitely enjoyed him. Uh, Rina Sawayama 
She plays Akira, who is the daughter of... Kiriyoki Sonata. Yes. Uh, well, I guess without, you know, huge spoiler, I'll say that they're working at another hotel. And that's about all you need to know. And their involvement in the plot is such a great way to just up the stakes of the whole movie as soon as their plot line comes in. Like right away, you kind of get where they're going with it in the story and how it's going to end up expanding, you know, way beyond even the high table. I love the Akira character. She goes through like a number of phases in this movie. And uh, I just love, love her arc. Wonderful presence. And I think you could probably do a whole movie uh, based on that character. I mean, I, th I think she was absolutely fantastic. Ian McShane is back. Lance Reddick. We do see Lance Reddick, which, you know, that was bittersweet. And the movie was dedicated to him, right? Yeah. At the end credits, they had a nice little dedication to him. So it was kind of sad to see him for the last time in a film, but... It was also just kind of nice to be seeing him, knowing that he had recently passed away. Right. What was your favorite thing, if you were to talk about the set pieces in this movie? I've, they've had some pretty long action sequences before. I don't, I'm thinking back to part two specifically when, I don't know how far into the movie it is, but there's a moment where everybody's game to go after John Wick, basically. And it's kind of the first time in the John Wick world we just saw everybody coming at him, like from left and right, and he's on a subway, and he's over here, and they're kind of do this crazy montage. And I think, like, in this movie, they do a lot of that, but they're aware when they're doing that and that they always have to do something above that so that you don't feel bored with, oh, we're just seeing a bunch of people come at John Wick again. Like there's always either a little twist to each action set piece or something to make you laugh almost even. I 100% agree. And that's where I felt like sometimes if I felt the momentum dragging or if I felt like I was seeing a scene like, oh, we've seen this before. And then you give it just like a minute and it's like, oh, OK, <laughs> it's like a misdirection. Like they want to make you think it's going a certain direction. Then it's then it's totally new. The thing about two is they they do amazing fighting, but the production value is incredible. As we were saying before, some of the sets and just landscapes are unbelievable. It was funny because there's a, a moment when and I, yeah, I don't think I'm giving anything away. Lawrence Fishburne's character does a transition that is right out of Lawrence of Arabia. It's like the same transition. And I was, I laughed to myself. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, you know something that they actually, they kind of lived up to the promise of that transition. That was, it was a very uh, sort of epic sequence that followed after that. I know coming out of the theater, you were going nuts over the camera work. What about the camera work really stuck out to you as a cameraman yourself? Well, you know, I think we went through a whole phase in movies where everybody complained that there was too much editing, too much shaky camera, and we've gotten pretty far away from that now. So it's it's nice to see directors come in and say, I'm going to give you this crazy fight scene, but it's going to actually look really beautiful, and you're going to be able to completely follow every little move that's happening, no matter how much we throw at you. And this movie uh, specifically had a couple of camera tricks just a different way to look at an action scene uh, that really wowed me, actually. What would be your overall summary to someone who's thinking about going to see this? Uh, maybe they're on the fence. Maybe they haven't seen a John Wick movie yet. Uh, what would be your message to them? Well, if you haven't seen any of them yet, you should go watch one, two, and three 
uh, and then go see this because I think you're going to be a little lost. But uh, if if you're on the fence because you maybe thought three wasn't as good as one and two, I would say absolutely come back. And if you love one, two, and three already, then you have to have to see it. I I echo Dave. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think if you are a fan of John Wick's one, two, and three, you're going to love John Wick four. It's got more of everything that you already love. It's got new characters that you haven't seen before and, you know, touching moments with returning characters and uh, returning threads, you know, so I definitely 100% recommend it. Uh, I understand the reviews are good right now. They're very good for it. Uh, But if anyone kind of tells you it's, it's bad or it's crap or whatever. I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily believe them. I say definitely go check it out for yourself. Yep. And one thing maybe I'll tease for if there's somebody who doesn't want to get spoiled, but you know, one thing they add in all the John Wick movies is uh, great tools or weapons for John Wick to fight with. And this movie had a fight scene with a particular weapon that is very famous weapon if you're wanting spoilers, now's the time. We're going to we're going to get into spoilers. We are talking spoilers right now. Dave, you just talked about an epic action sequence where we see a type of weapon. Tell us all about that. There's a pretty significant nunchuck sequence with John Wick that I thoroughly enjoyed. I, I don't believe we've seen him really go to town with some nunchucks yet, and it just felt like a great homage to Bruce Lee or, you know, it's just such a classic weapon that I feel like every time people see, they kind of have a laugh about either because of Ninja Turtles or, you know, Bruce Lee or something. But not only did he use it, he used it well. He did. And that was the thing I was very struck by with the nunchucks fight was I I was just in awe of it. And I was going, wow, so this is what you really this is what you can do with nunchucks, you know, and uh, quite deadly, weren't they? You've, you've always thought, you know, it must really hurt. But then, then when you see this, you go, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to take some people down. Yeah, indeed. And when, when I was young, actually, I studied martial arts and, you know, they let you practice with like the foam nunchucks, you know, because it was illegal to sell hard nunchucks. And, uh, you know, but all they would, or at least for me, all they would teach would be like forms, you know, where you're just doing it yourself, you know, you're uh, swinging them around, which is fun, but they really don't teach you how to fight with them, or at least the kids, you know, where, where I was, they didn't teach. So um, it's really fun to see the true weapon potential of nunchucks. It was great too, because he would do some, a little bit of pistol work in between, and then he would just kind of dangle them over his shoulder or neck. So it would kind of almost tell you while you're watching it too, like, we're not done with these yet. These these are still going to keep getting used for another couple minutes. Well, let's take that as an opportunity to talk about all these set pieces. I mean, you were, this is part of the first major set piece of this movie. Um, there, there's one in the desert, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's like a little appetizer, but then this is like just an incredible set piece. What really stuck out to you about this entire set piece? This is the the hotel, the other hotel run by Akira's father. And I'll, I'll pull up his name while, uh, while you're talking about it. But what struck you about this entire sequence? Oh, you know, this, this sequence just had me somewhere halfway through it, uh, where I think it kind of helps rope me in for the rest of the movie, actually. One, because it was so long. I started to think to myself while it was happening, you know, this is like the end sequence of John Wick 2 or John Wick 3. 
like we're getting the size of the finale for the beginning of this movie. And even some of the plot points they were doing felt like they were end of the movie kind of things. But you knew that we still had so much more to go after that, that that kept me so intrigued just of like, wow, we are setting up a lot and getting through a lot right now. Like we're just getting to it. We're not going to drag it out and where it's going to go from here. I don't know, because like I said, it felt almost like the ending. Like if if it was a, a lesser written movie, that was the ending. My jaw dropped, I think, when I realized just how long this was going on and it wasn't ending. It just kept on going. And I just absolutely loved the production design. There's a lot of like European influence and Asian influence. Each place has its own unique feel. You feel like you're in a unique setting that's almost specifically designed for this fight, you know, which it was. As a, as a filmmaker and editor, I kept watching these scenes in amazement because in the background, they would incorporate on-set lights that would like pulse, you know? And I'm like, that's got, I want, is that in like an editing nightmare? Because they'd have to like cut where, you know, it's not mid pulse, you know? And um, I just can't imagine how tricky that was. Maybe everything was choreographed. I don't know. Did you think that at all? You know, the strobing lights for me just felt like uh, they've had those in all of the previous John Wick movies, like the, the constant just rooms where like crazy lights are and doing random things. So it's almost like when they walk into a room now, it feels like they're just like, yeah, we're doing this. You know, this is this is what we do. This this is how <laughs> this is how we build these sets, and this is how we make this movie and world look. So, it honestly just makes me smile because they don't shy away at all from what they're trying to do or give you ever. Yeah, uh, the G and E team are having having a lot of fun in this movie. That's for sure. And um, so we have this entire sequence really in this hotel, and it really sets up these personal stakes that John Wick has put all his friends in danger. Ever, you know, The movie basically opens with the Continental being blasted to the ground. We have Lance Reddick's character gets killed uh, right off the bat. John Wick has really caused trouble for everyone. And uh, that character of Akira, I think she's, she's younger but she seems to be the only one that vocalizes directly to John Wick how much danger he's put everyone in and she's not happy about that. And he gets people killed, including her father, uh, which is a major plot thread that we don't get back to till the end. Really, can you talk about like the personal stakes and even Donnie Yen's character? Yeah. So one of the things I loved about the introduction of Donnie Yen and uh, her father's character uh, was that they established that they knew John Wick and that they respected him. And it wasn't just, uh, oh, I respect this guy, so I can't wait to kill him like the previous movies were like, oh, it's going to be an honor to kill the great John Wick. These guys were actually like, I don't want to kill John Wick. I've always loved John Wick. He's He was a brother to me. So I'm going to actually either go against the high table or I'm going to stay with them and make a decision based on whatever keeps me or my family alive. And that's it. So it felt like the stakes were way higher because they actually loved him and respected him, even though they kind of had to either fight with him or against him. That's one thing I, I really love about this movie and the John Wick movies is that this is kind of obviously a society that most of us hopefully don't live in or anything like this, but no, we're, we're living in it. Well, you know, we're, we're not allowed to talk about that openly, but, um, but 
you know, these characters are put in a point of dilemma where they're almost forced to do these things. There's no easy way out. And that's kind of the fun of the movie is figuring out the puzzle. Like, how are these characters? Are they going to be able to get out of this? Are they going to be able to break free of the uh, threats against themselves and their family and do what they would want to do? And I don't know. I think that's really an interesting aspect of uh, the John Wick movies. Yeah. And I also am just kind of a sucker anytime there's like a a big showdown that's going to happen. And the two rivalries are basically saying like, I don't want to do this, but we got to do it. So we're doing it. (laughs) You know, it just feels like a classic trope that always adds, adds a little extra level of seriousness to it. How would you say this movie stacks up to just action movies or martial arts movies in general? I mean... I'm sitting there today watching it and part part of me says like this is just a master class on how to do an action movie. Like I don't I honestly I could throw this question out to you right now. Is this the best action series of all time? Like each movie is incredible. I know it's early to say like uh and and there's still more John I know there's going to be a TV show and stuff so there's still more we're going to blow up this world more I'm sure. But is this the best action series of all time i'm serious like every other action series has a movie that's kind of a clunker probably i'm sure there's something i'm not thinking of that is all good across the board but these are all phenomenal across the board right that's a wonderful question and i think it very well could be the greatest action series of all time for a few reasons the first is not just the action sequences just the action itself, which is which is fantastic. But then you add to that the production design and the level of choreography and thought put into the space of the production design and the way the fights interact with the the sets, the the theme, the production, um, how they look, how the how the lighting lights the action sequences. Um, that's just a level of coordination that I don't think we see normally. And then on top of that, the characters, I mean, the characters aren't necessarily the deepest characters you find in any movie, but they're exactly what they should be for this movie. And they're played by such great actors. And I I don't know, to me, it's like the quality of the acting, the quality of the look, the, the cinematography, the production design and the choreography working all together. I, has there been another movie series that has all those? I don't think that, or if they do, they have at least one movie where you go, well, the story was kind of whatever in that one. The Parabellum Knife fight is my favorite John Wick fight of all the John Wick movies, at least before going into this one. But I'll I'll say you're going to get plenty of knife action still. <laughs> the, nun, the nunchucks are only a brief part. So, but th- but I agree that 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 Parabellum Knife fight is probably. That was the standout fight for me until this movie. And everything's a weapon in this movie. I mean, there's that sequence where cars are weapons. I I, I mean, when he's like running through the Arc de Triomphe, everyone's coming after John Wick. He's trying to get to the duel that he needs to get to in order to get freedom. And everyone, all the assassins are coming after him and they're coming after him with cars you know there's normal traffic but there are assassins using cars and everyone's getting hit and trying to dodge cars i mean it's sort of the same way it's like it's like a car car fight it's basically let's have a massive fight in the middle of a fast-moving traffic jam and see what happens to all the bodies (laughs) through it you know the first thing i think about that scene as well is 
we have a new character called Nobody, or he calls himself Nobody, and he has a very influential dog, or at least the dog's very influential in these fights. And can you talk a little bit about that character and uh, his dog compatriot? Yeah, that was a character that I actually really enjoyed all the way through the movie. Uh, He was basically another random assassin who was trying to scoop the money up for knocking off John Wick, which has been going on for a lot of the other movies already. But instead of just kind of making him some random other villain to come in, they gave him some nice depth and what he was doing and what games he was trying to play within the world, I thought made his character really stand out as as just not a throwaway villain. Like it was like, oh, this is a a good little extra side boss almost for John to deal with. But the fact that he had a dog, I really enjoyed that because dogs have been a part of this whole series. And now it was like, hey, why don't we give one of the villains a dog finally and have him go to town with that? Right. You know, like you said, the dog component I was so distracted by, of course, everything happening in the movie and the way he was using the dog in these fights and how good the dog was. And he had like a special command for the dog, like nuts for the dog to go for people's nuts Um, that towards the end of the movie, when you hit that crucial scene where John Wick decides to shoot the guy who's about to shoot the dog. And you go, oh, how brilliant that is. Like, oh, we're going. Yes, he he cares so much about the dogs you know of course and i don't know it's is it weird to say i i didn't think of that coming because i was so preoccupied with the movie but it was i thought it was kind of nice right it's almost like uh the way the script is reminding you like we've always loved dogs in these movies if you if you forgot like don't forget this started because of john wick's dog yes okay so let's talk about you know a hero is only as good as his villains and we know that Nobody was an antagonist, you know, but maybe not totally bad, obviously, you know, by the end of the movie, uh, everyone's just out to make money, right? Except we've got the Marquis played by Bill Skarsgård, right? And as you were talking, I mean, he's had quite a flourishing career lately. You know, he played it, you know, among other roles, very memorably. What did you think of his character and then also his performance as, as this character? I thought he was great. I thought he did a nice job as the, I don't want to say more sleazy, but, you know, the more elegant (laughs) villain who's maybe sitting behind a desk more than some of the others. But, I mean, I felt like just him and Donnie Yen, every scene they were in, both of them were just trying to chew up the scenery as much as they could, and they, they were pulling it off. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was an interesting choice of a villain this time because he was younger and he was kind of weak. He might have had some skills, but it, like he always depended upon his goons to to cause mayhem. And to, at least to me, I always thought of him as like inferior to John Wick and the heroes. Like the only thing he had was status and a love for like aristocracy, and he had all that too. But um, but yeah, I think I thought the movie did a good job of even though he was kind of personally a weak character, he threw his weight around very well and had control over Donnie Yen and nobody uh, and all these other characters. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting, I don't know. It was an interesting choice. Interesting character. I thought it it was good to have somebody sit at the top of the other, you know, there's basically four or five villains, I I guess. Now that I'm thinking back on it, there, there was definitely multiple bad guys who showed up and you'd be like, Oh, here they are again. Let's go. So I think uh, putting him at the top was 
a, a nice choice. What do you think of these settings this time? In the like, we're going to new locations. What's your impression of these settings? Well, I love the Japan setting in the in the opening. I thought that was just really cool. But the European settings were like kind of amazing just to just even just see where they were filming them it made you wonder every time like where is this and maybe maybe something too that we can say has been in all the other movies is a nightclub sequence and this movie certainly has a nightclub sequence and gosh when they entered that nightclub the way it looked it was just like whoa like I can't is is this a set? Is this a real place? Like it, you 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 you're almost wondering just what went in to get the cameras in there practically. Yeah, and that sequence in particular, that was fascinating for me because it was this little sort of side story where John Wick has to get the family crest in order to challenge the marquee to a duel. But in order to do that, he has to kill, you know, this guy who killed a member of his family. And he's big into poker. And I don't, it was, that was such an interesting character and an interesting sequence. Honestly, the character reminded me of uh, Colin Farrell as the penguin. It's kind of like that kind of fat suit, same kind of attitude. He had golden teeth. How did that hit you? That section of the movie? That was the section that if there was going to be something that pulled me out of it or didn't work, it would have been that. But it, it wasn't. I loved that sequence because they actually threw a couple surprises at you. Uh, you know, you thought it was just going to be John Wick going off on some kind of side quest to kill a guy to do the thing, you know, A to B. But they ended up bringing in all the villains into that sequence and have them all sit next to each other for a moment of tension, which was a lot of fun. And then you kind of started introducing the idea of they're not going to kill each other right away because they have things that they have to accomplish. They can't just off each other. They have to, there's all the rules with the high table and what Donnie N's trying to accomplish and what John Wick is trying to accomplish. So you're watching it all unfold, but you're aware of the rules that are happening within the world. And it's, so it's not mindless. You're, you're, you're fully engaged with it. Yes. And I think what shocked me about that sequence was you knew it was going to end with some sort of fight like that tension was building up you didn't quite know how it was going to go but we get into that dance sequence we get into this amazing i guess you could say it's a dance club with like water coming down and light coming through the water and this guy he's this big guy like in the fat suit but then he just starts wailing on john wick and he's like athletic and it's almost just fascinating to watch that you know it's like a heightened reality kind of thing and um i don't know what uh, what are your thoughts on that? It, that kind of reminded me a little bit of if if you ever saw Dragon, the Bruce Lee story uh, from back in the 90s, how all the fights in that movie were kind of like a fake heightened reality where they almost looked like cartoon characters a little bit. And that's how this character felt. And when that guy started fighting, it was such a surprise of how acrobatic he could be that it, it had me cracking up throughout that whole fight. Like it's, it's amazing how you can watch so many fights, but enjoy them all for different reasons. Actually. I always love the inclusion of poker. That's a uh, very, an interesting game that I think kind of really fits that scene very well. The tension of who's going to win, who has what hand, you know, how would these assassins play the game of poker? You know, that, I thought was very interesting. Another action sequence, which was pretty funny, I know that you mentioned it too, was that 
basically we had the longest staircase tumble i think in film history it's po- it's possible i mean they set up the sequence with uh, they say how many steps he has to go up i can't remember how many it was and it takes him a long time to get up those steps and a short time to go back down but the fact that they did it all in basically one take i, I was actually wondering how did they pull it off was there uh, a stitch like was it two shots cut together ever or was that just all one person rolling down a hill it was pretty impressive that was impressive and i would be so intrigued to see how they did that because basically you had that camera just tracking keanu reeves as he was just going down the stairs all these flights of stairs and uh it almost you know made me laugh by the end because i couldn't believe how far he had gone and of course, he keeps going. I would love to see the behind the scenes of this movie. Um, okay, so another big topic we should probably talk about is the fact that John Wick dies. This happens, apparently. <laughs> How did that hit you? Do you believe it? All of that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I wasn't expecting it because I, w- I was, wasn't sure if this was the last movie going into it even. I, have, I purposely hadn't read anything about it or I didn't even watch the trailer on purpose because I really get upset that trailers spoil the whole movie so i just don't participate in them if i know i'm gonna see the movie anyway but him passing i think for me i started to be okay with it actually at the point of where what i thought was the best john wick line where they were talking about if something was going to be on your tombstone what would you want written on it and they were talking about what had gone on lance reddick's and just keeping it simple. You know, how do you say something about someone in so few words? They were they were basically discussing. It's a very hard decision to make. And before John Wick left the scene, he said, "I would want mine to say loving husband." And when he said that, I was like, mm, "Damn, that is a really smart line, actually." And it's actually pretty touching coming from John Wick. I really respected that. So. When they did that after he passed away, I guess to me, it just kind of all fit. So if he doesn't come back, I'm actually okay with where they left it. I'm also not sure where the story goes after this. It, it did feel like there was kind of a period put on the John Wick series a little bit, whereas two and three did not end that way. Two and three ended with like, get ready because there's more coming. I was really mixed on that at the end because I, I agree that line was was really touching where we heard from John Wick and it's like the way he said it was and he said it a couple times to make sure everyone knew like I want mine to say loving husband you know and that just that idea of like what I want is John Wick it's really kind of revealing of his character I don't know it's a vulnerable moment I agree it was really touching um, and then I was like, oh, that he's going to die, which is, you know, which was too bad. I agree, though. It's almost like if you think about the series, could he ever catch a break? I mean, was he ever going to be able to get out of things? I guess he technically did, but um, maybe this was a kind of peace for him. But I mean, we can get to there is a post credit scene that we'll talk about. But do you think John Wick is really dead? Boy, that's a, that's a tough question because I, I don't know if they have something like up their sleeve that they're they're setting up. But I feel like from the movie I watched, he is. <laughs> like it felt like they were trying to say it without even hinting towards anything else. 
And if that happened to be his official death scene, I thought it was done fairly well, actually. And I think there was something to, boy, I would have to see it again, but, you know, partially of him passing had something to do with him helping save Donnie Yen's daughter as well. There was something in the deal that went down. I don't remember what the line that they said was, but they said something out loud that kind of tipped that they knew that they were both doing a, a plan. They had a plan together, if you know what I'm talking about. And of course, that was the after credit scene. You know, we talked about how Akira, who's the character whose father died, and she was upset at John Wick for bringing this all upon their family. And she vowed that she would kill Kane, Donnie Yen's character, because Kane killed her father. Then we don't really focus on that for the rest of the movie. And then in the after credit sequence, Kane appears to be happy. He's around her daughter. He's got flowers. And then boom, Akira shows up with a knife and then it cuts out. Dave, in your history of watching movies, is this a setup for the sequel? Is this what's going to happen for the next movie, for the continuation of the story? Do you see, you talked about that deal. Do you think John Wick would come in back to the story at some point if he's not dead to help Kane? That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that there was a faking of the death or something so that he can make further appearances. But it does seem like they're setting up Donnie Yen to certainly continue his story, which I'm, I'm all for. I really enjoyed him. And I don't know if we've discussed, too, the fact that his name is Kane, he's blind, and he fights with his cane. Yes, pretty amazing i mean they they get it they know what they're doing <laughs> they're just like yeah we're this is what we're doing yeah and we didn't even circle back to his character you're right and he does all this he's blind apparently he willingly gave his eyes to the table at some point which gosh that sucks for him because then they the marquee pressed him back into service that is really really too bad for his character a bit of tragedy there but i hope that john wick is not really dead i think it makes sense for him to fake his death because that way, hopefully he's off everyone's radar and he could actually live in peace. That That's what makes me think it's possible he's not just because even if the high table says, you're cool now, we're, we're you're free of whatever we cared about, somebody's coming for him. Somebody's mad about something. Like there's no way he could just live quietly. But as you said, if they decide to end it there, if Keanu Reeves has kind of decided that maybe... He's done four really solid movies and he wants to move on. Um, that I think that's a very fair final way for him to go out. It was, yeah. So it's, it's, I guess we're only not sure because of the way content is today with universes and streaming shows and all kinds of expansions. So I have heard that I believe he's going to show up in the the Continental TV show, but I, th but I think that's a prequel. I think I, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this continental TV show because obviously the continental was destroyed at the beginning of this movie, but they promised to rebuild it at the end. So I guess it could be a prequel. It could be a sequel. That would be fascinating. I'd love some scenes too. If we see John Wick again, I'd love some scenes where we could see him enjoying life a little bit too. Yeah. Where he at least gets some peace uh, for a while, some measure of peace. But I don't know. Or maybe he's dead. And looking back at this movie, Dave, we've talked about all the great qualities of this movie. Are there certain things about this movie that you thought were, were mixed? You're kind of like, eh, about? Hmm, that's a good question because I know we just saw it, but my initial reaction is it's just really solid. Like it just did not 
let me down in any kind of way. So I don't know. That's something I might have to think about or, or see it again to maybe pick something apart. There, there was just so many subtle moments that I enjoyed apart from the big action set pieces. Like I'm thinking even the fact that, uh, you know, Ian McShane had made it be part of the contract that they would have to rebuild the Continental and that he would have to be reinstated as the manager. I didn't realize that Keanu Reeves didn't know he was going to do that. So when they kind of revealed that, you know, that that was the terms and Keanu kind of looked at him like, really? Like, that's what <laughs> this was more about you in the hotel. And he kind of looks at him like, hey, what do you expect? That's that's what I do. I'm the hotel guy. So, no, I don't have anything that I'm coming to mind. Is there anything for you? Um, hmm. I think. Yeah, the only thing that's maybe mixed for me would be I did feel like two thirds of the way through the momentum kind of sagged a little bit. And I think that's maybe a symptom of the movie just being like at level 11, like basically for the first half of the movie. And then and then it kind of sags a bit. There are some moments that kind of threaten to be repetitive, but then turn out to not be repetitive. Um, but, you know, again, I it's really hard to knock it because it's like by the time you get through those and get to the end of the movie, it all makes sense and it all recovers so nicely. And, you know, it's just, I mean, I think that's it. I think that's the only thing I could say that's mixed. And I don't think it's really significant. Yeah. And that's probably something you could have said about the previous two, it, it, you know, at any point too, if you just weren't in the mood to watch an action movie, maybe like at a certain point, yeah, it's going on 11 for, two hours you might drift out for a second or two but you teased me with this thought that there was the sequence that, uh, like a few minutes that you just thought was fantastic like innovations things you hadn't seen before what was that uh so there's a sequence it's maybe three quarters of the way through the movie and they've introduced these guns that the villains are going to use to shoot John Wick that have like explosive fire rounds in them. Because one thing we accept in the world of John Wick is that if everybody's wearing bulletproof suits and all they got to do is throw up an arm and they'll, they'll be all right. But uh, during the sequence where the people have those guns, there is a moment where the camera basically lifts up from the floor on a crane and then looks straight down on this apartment complex it's kind of similar to there's a sequence of minority report actually uh the steven spielberg movie where you're drifting over from room to room just looking straight down and the camera does not cut through that entire sequence and you are watching john wick light people up with these explosive fire rounds and I could not figure, I couldn't figure out where some of the people CGI because I couldn't figure out how they were throwing the bodies around and making them explode with this fire. And it was so impressive and went for so long. And it kind of felt almost like a, a nod to video games in a way a little bit. So it, it was just a really fun sequence that was so well done that just made me smile through that whole whatever couple minutes they were doing that top-down shot and those explosive rounds that that had me going holy crap i totally agree with you and that's the sequence i had in mind too like there there are things in this movie i think that were very innovative not only for the series but also for action movies in general and like you said 
that kind of view has been done before. But for this type of movie and the transition from this going from like ground level fighting to like going up and above and looking straight down, like on the grid of the rooms. And you're right. John Wick becomes like a video game character and you're watching him like take out these guys with this flaming weapon. Just so much fun. And you can tell that they really were just so creative in how they came up with these action sequences. So many action movies and series, and I know you probably know this too, just rely on doing things the way they've been done forever. And they really don't put much effort or imagination into how they're going to do things. Or maybe they'll uh, just cover things very with like shaky cam and do quick cuts. And you know, you really don't get a sense of space. And one of the things I love about John Wick is you have an absolute sense of space, that the sense of space is crucial to the success of each of these fight scenes. And you really have a sense of the geography of where these people are and what's happening to them. And there's just such amazing tension there. And uh, yeah, that this sequence I thought really stood out too. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I thought one thing I enjoyed about it too is it, it is a one-shot basically, but we've seen so many one-shots recently in movies. I mean, 1917 is a, that's the whole movie basically. And we've seen it and we know that they're going to stitch shots together. So it's it's almost like a trick that's not that exciting anymore at this point. It's almost like 1970 and put it to rest at this point. Like, I mean, Birdman technically did it up before them, but uh, maybe there was bigger stuff going on in 1917. But this one shot to me was so much cooler for an action sequence because it's very easy to have one actor pop up from something and shoot something and then hide and then the camera move over here and we go look at something over here but since we were looking top down on everybody you saw all four bad guys in the room at the same time and you would see how john was gonna hide and get around all of them and and take them all out and nobody left the frame ever so it, it made these little set pieces of just like well how can he get out of that and then of course he john wicks his way out I enjoyed, too, going back to that first ultra-long sequence, that ultra-long set piece, Donnie Yen's character, Kane, just how he kind of exploded late in the sequence, and he was using his cane, but he's blind, and so he's able to sort of sense where people are, and there's that moment of vulnerability where he can't tell that John Wick's still alive, he's being quiet, and he's just there, and he's saying, are you dead, John? You know, and of course, John Wick is still alive at that point. But I don't know, just all those little personal character touches. I don't know. I think does wonders for these set pieces. It, well, it makes the characters so much more fun as opposed to just John Wick shooting mindless goons and stuff that come against him. There's another sequence right before that that I loved with Donnie Yen, uh, where since he can't see, he sets up these little uh, remote chimes these little like doorbells that he places around the room so that he can know when people walk through stuff and that was just something that also made me smile where you go oh here's here's the john wick series again just giving you some fun little hook to make this fight sequence more interesting right and you know something i loved about that too is like you know he puts one on the wall then he takes it down and he puts it lower you know, and it's like those moments that are just like, that's like a human thing to do. Like, it's not perfect necessarily the first time. I don't know. It just brought me into the scene. It's like, oh, okay, he's 
he's making an adjustment. It's not perfect. Yeah, and what was fun about his character, I thought, too, is, you know, we've seen the blind assassin before in movies, but they're usually, like, untouchable. In this movie, Donnie M was blind, so it's, yeah, it may be ridiculous that he can do what he can do, but they actually made him miss a lot, and they made him... His strategy sometimes for shooting people was just walking in a room and shooting all over the place. It seemed like while he was swinging his sword so he could just get close to you. Though the one thing, you remember that poker scene that we were talking about? How did he know what cards he had? I was wondering that myself. I wasn't sure. Could he Could he still see like if it was really close to his face? Because he, he did hold them up. But oh, Okay, maybe, maybe so. I, I don't know. I don't know. So maybe someone will let us know. Maybe his intuition is, you know, just that good. It's it's Donnie Yen. It's Kane. He can he can do anything. It's Kane with his Kane. Indeed, his deadly Kane. Dave, having been a fan of all these movies, and now you finish watching John Wick Chapter Four. What is your hope going forward? Whether they make a new movie or they transition into this television series. What is your hope for the series going forward? Do you think there have to be some core traits that have to be in there to avoid kind of a slump? Or do you think it's got fertile ground to run? Okay. Uh, One thing I think that it has to continue, and that's going to be tricky if they do it on a TV show, because money is a factor and time is a factor when you're making movies. If they lose the production quality and the action starts to feel cheap and i'm sorry to point out some of maybe the star wars tv shows but you know they didn't look that great the sets didn't look that great if we start to get into that territory it's gonna feel like they've kind of watered it down and then it's it's lost its magical feeling that it has right now so that would bum me out however because they've done so well up to this point all i can do is kind of be excited for whatever they give me and if they give me another movie because i like we said do we is he really dead is this the end of the movies we don't know um i'd be okay with this being the last movie if they're gonna do another one i'm gonna do the same thing i did for toy story 4 i didn't think that toy story 4 needed to happen but then when i saw it i loved it and i was totally cool with it so same with the john wick you've already earned my trust if you make a fifth one and it's great i'll i'll love it and i won't say it should have ended I agree with you. I think as long as a lot of the same people are associated with the TV series or the next movie that understand what make it, makes it so special, you're right. If some of these elements are lost, you know, we talked about how great the production design is, how great the choreography is and how imaginative it is, um, how great the cinematography is, the acting. If we start to, I think, lose some of that or some of the attention to that, which hopefully wouldn't be inevitable in a series, but you know, like you said, you know, there are other series out there, maybe for all kinds of reasons, scheduling, budget, um, these things kind of start to fall away. You know, maybe that that could hurt this. Um, but if they're able to maintain all of that, then I it could be wonderful. It could be great. It could be great. I, I'm just going to go with uh, I, I try to trust filmmakers that have already made me happy. Like if, they, if they've if they've kind of failed you, you can be like, well, We don't know how that's going to turn out, but even in terms of like Cobra Kai, like they've kind of just hit it out of the park the whole time. So most of that show, I've been like, I trust these guys. I'm not worried. So even though they're going to continue this, I think I'm not worried. Let's, Let's see what they got. 
Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you for joining me today at the movies and then also for this amazing instant discussion, instant movie reaction for uh, John Wick Chapter 4. Do you have any final thoughts on the movie? I I wish I could rank it (laughs) within the series, but I feel like it's almost impossible. Like they're, they're all great for their own reasons. So final thoughts, if if this is the close, great close. I know you're right. If everything has to come to an end, if this is the end, it's, it's fine. This is a fair ending. I think it's a good ending. And if it's not, then hopefully the quality will continue. So thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, be sure to check us out next time on KenCast. If there are movies that you'd like to see discussions about, uh, let us know in the comments, or you can email me at heykencast at gmail.com. Dave, thank you so much. And uh, may you have many great movie experiences going forward. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And uh, before we leave today, I do Max Kelly, if you're still on here, um, he has a question. What are your thoughts on Dutch coming back? If Chad McQueen doesn't want to come back, would you be okay with them using CGI of Chad while they get his son's his son Stephen McQueen to portray Dutch on set? I don't know. Okay, so um obviously, Dave, you're you're a you're a big uh, Karate Kid 3 and uh, Cobra Kai fan. Um, of course, Chad McQueen plays Dutch. What, what do you think? They probably wouldn't CGI. I don't think they'd probably CGI anyone, uh, in that series. I hope not. No, I, that, that move has not proven to work yet. Maybe it has. There's probably one of them that works, but most of the time that's a, that's a risky play. Right. And, um, I, I just don't see Chad McQueen because he's around and he doesn't want to be in it. I don't see him going like, no, I don't want to be in it, but you guys can like CGI my face onto someone else. I, I just don't see that, that happening. The old uh, Back to the Future to Crispin Glover lawsuit, if you know what I'm talking about, where somebody else played Crispin Glover and he said, hey, he can't look like me. <laughs> yes. And you're right. That turned into like an industry-wide major lawsuit. It, it determined policy going forward at that point. And uh, although I would love the best scenario, I think would be if Chad McQueen decided to come back, if there was a good part for him and he decided to come back, I'd love to see Dutch. The guy's, uh, you know, he just, he goes off, man. He's, he's wild. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Anytime we're talking to about special effects to use a character. um, I mean, we saw the Indiana Jones trailer recently and the, uh, I, I guess they had to make him young again too, you know. So it, it's becoming a thing now too. Where I don't want to whether to make him young, old, whatever. Uncanny Valley. Indeed, and maybe now with like a deep fakes and AI, maybe that technology will just get better. I don't know. I'm personally kind of getting a little scared at uh, how good maybe some of this video is going to be, as far as being able to convince us it's someone, but it's not. But you're right. Up to this point, we've dealt with the Uncanny Valley. Um, it looks like they might have improved it a bit for the Indiana Jones movie. I know that they're probably still working on the uh, special effects on that movie. But um, you're right. This does seem to be a thing. At least in that movie, Harrison Ford, he's in it. He's fully on board. And, you know, he's consented to it. And I don't know. Do you do you feel like we should bring back deceased actors that way? No, I don't actually. I think just either recast it or write the character out or something or 
You know, it's just, it feels like at that point, are you just making a cartoon, I guess? And I, I know that's not fair to special effects work, but. Right, right. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, it was, that's what we did all throughout history, right? Uh, with Shakespeare and plays and actors, uh, you would get new characters, uh, sorry, new actors playing all these classic characters and you would just change them out. And that was an actor's job. They had to inhabit these famous roles. And so, um, yeah, I really respected there's, uh, what Dr. Sleep is one of those that I, I like how they did that. You know, they obviously had very famous people who played those characters in the shining, but, uh, they recast those characters in Dr. Sleep, but it's still, it worked. You know, it, it didn't have to have Jack Nicholson's digital face on there. You know, you just got a different actor. I guess it was Henry Thomas in this case. Uh, and it worked. It worked for the movie. Yeah. Actually, uh, one thing I just uh, I did the audio book of um, is Heat 2. I love the movie Heat and I loved Heat 2. And I heard that they're trying to make uh, either a film or I don't know if it's going to be a miniseries about it, but they're talking about Adam Driver playing the Robert De Niro character because a lot of Heat 2 takes place before Heat. Uh, and that that's something where I thought about that and said, okay, you know, I I love that movie, but I would be interested in seeing another actor play that role as a younger person. I would definitely never watch it if they were going to do some more de-aging stuff. I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm a huge Michael Mann fan, and uh, I, I would love to actually see that. I saw that he was doing that, and I was wondering if maybe he had tried to make the movie, and you know, he just hit you know the normal roadblocks, and so he just decided to write it down. But then maybe this will create the interest to make a series or a movie. That's what I'm hoping, but I, you know, I, I was a little skeptical going into it. Like, eh, does this need a sequel? But I found myself halfway through it, like really engaged and, and loving it. So. I, ho- I do hope they produce something of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Dave, thank you so much. It was great talking to you today. And uh, I hope this has been a great start to the weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. Absolutely. Always good to hang out with Ken. <laughs> Always great to hang out with Dave Strock. Everyone, check out Mama Out of Bullets. That is uh, Dave's YouTube channel. We've got a link down in the description. Subscribe. He's a filmmaker. He makes all these great films. You can watch them on his YouTube channel right now. He was also a cinematographer, director of photography, brilliant for the movie Cobra Cole, uh, which uh, also featured yours truly. Check that out if you haven't checked it out yet. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, next time on KenCast. We'll see you. Bye. Want to be part of the live KenCast show? Subscribe to the Ken Cole YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to get alerts about every new show. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time on KenCast. Mm-hmm.